I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Lone Star House of Design, a showcase of amazing design and architecture talent from the great state of Texas. This is a look back at some of the talent making Texas the hotbed for new, amazing, and world-class design that it is. Mike and Brian Yates created Yates Design in 2015 and have been practicing in Dallas ever since. Important to know. And you will hear how they hung a shingle in Texas without knowing anyone in Texas. They're going to share how they networked and built their firm from scratch. This is one of those rare firms that offer both interior and landscape services with equal mastery. You'll find both Southern charm and big city sophistication in their work. And I think it's important right now. I believe that the renewed interest in those moving from highly congested cities like LA, New York, and Chicago is growing. I think in the next three to five years, you will see an absolute explosion in the Texas population. Dallas being its biggest beneficiary, folks moving in will be looking to blend their contemporary sensibilities with Southern charm. They're in a really great spot to benefit from that. This is Mike and Brian Yates of Yates Design. So basically we, we decided, okay, I was working at my dream job. I loved, I loved where I was at. I loved the projects that I was working on. I loved the people. But we kind of hit this um, big deciding factor. We were either going to buy a house in Manhattan or um, Mike said, well, you know, you've always wanted to open your own design firm. Maybe now is the time. You know, so we either thought, okay, are we going to open a design firm or are we going to buy a, an apartment? And um, we just got married. And so it was kind of one of those, or we were just about to get married. And it was one of those things that we were like, you know what? We should just go ahead and do this, you know, so that we can really cultivate the design firm the way that we want. Um, You know, being the age that we were, you know, we had time to really kind of just um, let that come to fruition and grow and enjoy it. And so we decided to do that. we wanted to be back closer to our family. Mike has a brother um, and sister, in our, and I have a sister-in-law that are in um, San Antonio. And so, you know, and then my sister and brother-in-law are here in, in Dallas. And so it's just like one of those things that we we're like, okay, maybe this is the right opportunity. However, that wasn't because of family wasn't the reason we sparked the interest of moving to Texas. We did about a year worth of research on it. Um, to decide where we were going to go, where we could kind of plant ourselves in the market that, you know, felt authentic, but then also felt that we could, you know, grow with the city and, and um, you know, build our own design from the way that we wanted it to be. Why, why Dallas? So, I mean, you know, after doing a bunch of research and, and knowing Dallas extensively, you know, it's a hub, right? Everything flies into Dallas. Um, so you can be anywhere in the United States in four hours or less, right? And so it becomes kind of this central location of, okay, we could uh, potentially expand and, and have clients all over the United States and we can still cater to them. Um, plus, you know, just knowing, knowing the economy here in Dallas or here in Texas in general, but also in Dallas, you know, it's a little bit more stable. 
and and that's appealing right and so um knowing that and then knowing it's a hub and knowing you know there's so many people that are are moving corporations into into the state um it just gives us the ability to really think okay there is the opportunity for growth there's the opportunity of um catering to different mindsets different um styles different people um, you have people that are moving here from LA, from Southern California, from Northern California, um, you know, out of the United States, from New York. And so you have all these people moving here because of the economy and how it's growing and, and the businesses that are moving their headquarters to Texas. You know, we just thought, hey, you know, we, we know we're going to be a small fish in a big sea right now, but there's potential to, you know, be swimming with the big dogs. And that being said, I'm curious, what was the experience like for you? It's not easy starting a firm anywhere, but <laughs> it, 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 it's, not, it's not, right? But no, you, no, you, and we probably did it the hardest way possible, I would imagine. We moved to Dallas only knowing my sister and her, you know, my brother-in-law at the time. They weren't married yet. Um, so those are the only people that we knew. And I knew one other friend that lived here and that was it. And so we really took the New York mentality. I mean, we used to work all the time. Mike traveled 35 weeks out of the year all over the world. And then, you know, I worked a, a hefty amount of hours every week. And, and so we thought, Hey, we can just apply that New York sink or swim mentality here and make this happen. And so, you know, we just did what we needed to do to start getting our name out there. And, you know, my biggest admirers are um, George and Glenn with Yabu Pushelberg. Um, you know, they gave us the best advice. And, you know, I left there with um, just so much, like, love and, and welcoming back if I ever wanted to. It, it was on such good terms. And... And so they, they basically, they gave the best advice and they said, go to as many parties as you possibly can and get to know people. It's, you know, it's building relationships and, and it's all about cultivating those relationships to, you know, just get your name out there. People like to work with people they like. And so it's, it's really just being authentic and, and showing them possibilities. And so that's basically what we did. And, you know, I think the universe just puts people into place the way that um, it's meant to be because we met one person that, that introduced us to another person that introduced us to another person. And I think that's why we really fell in love with Dallas because we always had the, um, you know, we always had the ability to go back if we wanted and, and didn't make it work. Our jobs both loved us. And, and so we kind of had nothing to lose, but everything to gain. And so that's just kind of the leap that we took. It's interesting to hear you say that too. Um, because having lived in Dallas and, and knowing Texas the way that I do, having family in Texas the way that I do, there is a, there is an, I'm trying to put it into words. There is a welcoming culture there is there is not the skepticism and not the hesitancy to 
start a relationship and meet somebody and get to know them a little bit more as there as there is on both coasts. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I think within the first week of really like diving in and, and to go to as many events as we possibly can and just introduce ourselves, you know, what we found so amazing about just being here in the first week or two, because um, we really did, as soon as we touched down, we were just running because at that point, you know, we had so much money for savings that was going to <laughs> deplenish, right? And so we needed to make sure that, hey, we need to start getting this going. We have about a year to really kind of coast um, from a from a, you know, a savings point of view and a family backing point of view, but really we needed to start to get our name out there. And what we found was so amazing is Dallas is, is one of those cities that really does kind of put their arm around your shoulder and guide you. And that's what is so nice about, about being here is, you know, people are really willing to give you their A player, you know, their, their go-to attorney, their go-to accountant, their go-to marketing people. And, you know, you think about in New York, you know, everyone has a bad stereotype about New York. I find New Yorkers to be the most loving and caring people. You just can't inconvenience them, right? We're all on <laughs> That's what it's about. Like, honestly, they will give you look what's going on right now with the pandemic and how amazing every single New Yorker is. I mean, being that at seven o'clock, everyone's like, you know, um, cheering and and doing all those amazing things. And, you know, there is so much love and support, but you can't inconvenience them. Right. But it's also a, a, a city where people are out to make it right. And so they don't give their number one person for their attorney or their accountant because they don't want someone else to get ahead of them. And that's what differs between being on the East Coast and then being here in Dallas. And we just found that so refreshing and lovely because that's kind of how we are. We think that it's always about rising tides, right? Even with other design firms and and other um, other people in the industry, you know, we're here to kind of get together and to grow together. And it's to us, it's not about a competition because everyone is so different and in design is, is open to interpretation, just like um, viewing a piece of art, right? It in, invokes this, your own emotion and, and feeling. So I don't know. That's what we, I guess why we like it here so far. Curious though, sharing of resources is really important. Absolutely. The biggest challenge in, in my experience in having these conversations with designers and architects is establishing that relationship within the community, absolutely. But it's also finding the clients. How did you approach that? So we're a 100% referral-based company. And um, what we did to start is Mike got his real estate license, and he can kind of talk about that here in a little bit. But we got introduced to, um, he started working at Dave Perry Miller and working for a real estate agent there that um, kind of opened a lot of doors for us. Um, her name's Julie Provisano, and um, he worked on the team. And so what we did to start, um, I said, hey, 
you know, I can style the homes for you if you need to um, get them ready for the market. I'm happy to give you my opinion. And so what we ended up doing was um, kind of putting a presentation together that took a lot of pictures and made a lot of notes. And then the clients were able to um, either implement them themselves or they could hire us at an hourly rate to come in and do that. And, um, you know, saying, hey, we can just spend maybe $1,000, utilize all the furniture you have, and, and rework things to make it a little bit more inviting and appealing to buyers. And so we did, and we had a really huge success rate on that where we didn't do too many homes, but the ones that we did weren't on the market that long. And I'm talking homes that are in like the million and a half to two up. Um, but you know, those clients sold their house and they liked what we did and they saw that we could do something on a lower price point. And so they would hire us for, you know, their next job. And, uh, we finally got one project that was a full remodel and we worked with those clients extensively for a year and it just kind of built and built and built on that. And, um, you know, those people would introduce us to their friends and their friends would interest us to their friends. And we really love being a referral based company because it's all if we like them and they like their friends, we know that it's going to be a good relationship. That's really smart. That's a totally different approach than I've than I've heard before. It, it feels like it's a long way to go on the real estate side, but it, it sounds like it was a, it was a calculated risk and it obviously paid off. I mean, we weren't making much money when it came to that, but it, it was something that, you know, helped us to get by at the time that we thought this be something. And, um, I don't know. It, it just kind of worked out. It just kind of worked out. Isn't yeah. that, isn't that the greatest? Yeah, <laughs> it was really great. Uh, one of the first things that I got involved with, when I did start uh, real estate was Buffini and company. His name is Brian Buffini and he's a business coach uh, started real estate in California and has a business, um, a business now that basically teaches you the referral based method. And it's a longer journey, like we said, um, but it's really about cultivating those relationships. And with that, Brian did do a lot of the staging of the homes and we were moving stuff around. People were really surprised, but it's that continued connection. And I would write hand notes to people. I would give them a call saying, how you doing kids, um, birthdays. It's all about creating that personal touch for us, right? We really want them to feel like we are not just working for you. We're, and we're guiding you on making the right decisions and it's about options and it's not about it's not about just saying okay this is what i see for your house and we're going to run you know we really do coin ourselves as more lifestyle designers it's it's all relationship driven and it's all collaboration and so we really want to be that tool for our clients and to collaborate with them because at the end of the day we want the house to be an extension of who they are and who their family is Interesting. What did you find in the design community? And I'll back up a second. 
not the personality so much because that that welcoming southern style is is amazing and it's very different from new york or la but i'm curious about the strength of of the design the interior landscape design community a, as a whole when you come from new york you got the D building and no that's miami you've got what's your what's your design center in new york Oh, we never went there that often. <laughs> um, it, you didn't have time. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to remember, but you ha- you have a very well established design center, right? Yes, yes. And in in Dallas, you've got Market Hall, you've got you've got resources, but what did you find in the in the strength of the design community? You mentioned a lot of events, but what did you find in the strength of the design community there? Well, you we get to know you know other designers because everyone starts to go to all of these events. And so we started to build relationships with them. And to this day, um, you know, we still will, uh, if we are stumped and we need a resource, you know, we'll pick up the phone and call a handful of people that I know that they're like, Hey, call this person. He's great at this. And so we utilize that quite often. And, and also, frankly, if, if we don't think that the clients are right fit for us, we're the first person to give them a handful of referrals to other designers here in town. Um, but we utilize all of our friends that are that own their own company or work for other people as as resources as well. I mean, you know, one of my best friends, our um, really good friends, you know, owns a design firm just like we do. And so it's it's um, it's all about working together. So I'm curious, in, in this new reality that we're living in, you mentioned the, all the events and the, and the gatherings. That's, that's going to be shut down, at least for a little while. Um, how do you see that changing, that, that gathering mentality, that, that social engagement? How do you see that changing? Well... We haven't really changed too much. We've just changed platforms, I think. Um, for for us, you know, what we, we did with our clients is, you know, we're not able to see them all the time. But what we've done is we've implemented Zoom. I mean, we, um, we are on Zoom calls with them all at least once a week. Um, and when it first started, you know, after like maybe three weeks into the pandemic, you know, we decided, hey, what if we have a bottle of wine delivered to them and we set up a happy hour with our clients? And so we started doing that. We would invite the builder and we would invite the client and the two of us and and we would sit down and not even talk about work. And so, you know, it's kind of changing that platform more so than changing um, not being able to be social. Finding innovative, innovative ways to continue that human touch yeah exactly Even though we can't actually touch it's <laughs> earthy and face but i think that there's always you know whenever you know you think about 2008 um in the market crash you know people became inventive and then that's when we had uber and and um you know different different services that provided innovative things and it's always through you know the platform of when you know, stuff like this happens that people get really inventive. And, and so that was really kind of what we were trying to think. How can we still interact with our clients on the same level, but um, 
change our platform. And and what you guys have also done is you've 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 created a a broader platform. So you cover interiors, you cover landscape, and and Mike, tell me a little bit about your your lighting experience and sort of what that what that has been able to to sort of bring to the to the firm. Yeah, my lighting experience. Um, I was a company manager, production manager, and lighting supervisor for dance company. Um, mainly Paul Taylor Dance Company in New York City. So my job was to take 16 dancers, three technicians, um, costumes, lighting, scenery around the world, uh, basically in all different shapes and venues, and basically recreate what we put on stage at Lincoln Center anywhere from Tel Aviv to Hammond, Louisiana. Um, and make sure everybody got there on time, um, flights, cars, hotels. So the kind of big giant puzzle that it, it created, um, was where my strengths come in. So I'm very much into organizing everything, keeping everything flowing and going. Um, and when we do hit any kind of roadblocks or situations, which always kind of happens, um, getting that opportunity to really talk to the client and then um, kind of come up with solutions together. Luxury living and livable design can both share the same space and designer Tracy Connell shares her strategies for making sure that they do. Tracy shares her design philosophy and walks us through a few of her projects. You're also going to hear how high-end luxury meets easy living. Tracy also shares some time and money-saving strategies that I think everyone could benefit from. So enjoy this conversation with Tracy Connell of Tracy Connell Interiors. I um I always talk about like this like intuitive feeling I like get in my belly, and it honestly it's it's really interesting because it happens normally in January and the first part of February, which <laughs> clearly is now. And so my entire team and my husband know that I get a little moody during this time because it's funny because you're after the holidays and people are thinking about projects, but it just happens every single year, January, half of February. It's like, okay, not the phone's not ringing a ton. I mean, we're just keeping it with our pipeline, but then boom, just like it, it, it hits. Thank goodness. I know it, but (laughs) I still have to go through it just like everybody else. You mean January and February happen every year? Yes. Exactly yes. like this every year? Yes. It's, it's so true. Last, Yeah, yeah. I mean, last year maybe not so much, but honestly, it's too funny because they, they can predict this from me where we ramp up our marketing and we ramp this up and we do all these new initiatives because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, phone is not going to ring. Well, I know based on history you know, it does hit. And thank goodness in the last two weeks, we're, we're back to, to back to our groove for sure. Well, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I, I want to talk to you about what it's like for you geographically, because here in Southern California, we get started fast. Um, yes. It starts with KBiz, which isn't really Southern California, but KBiz right. is kind of like the kickoff. And then it's straight into Modernism Week. And then it's into into West, uh, West Week at the Pacific Design Center. And then mm-hmm. the Pasadena Showcase. I mean, it just, boom. And it just explodes right out of the gate early. So I think, I think it sort of forces us 
to get going. Due to weather, right. you know, you sort mm -hmm. of have clients who think, oh, I'll wait till it warms up a little bit. I'll wait till it dries up a little bit. What's it like for, for what is what is the state of Texas design right now? It's really great, actually. Um, we have been so fortunate in Dallas, even in the downturn 2008-9, to really be you know, afforded a lot of great projects. In Dallas, I mean, because it's affordable, no state income tax and, and all of those goodies, there's constant regrowth, rebuild, people moving here a lot from California. And so I do live in a metroplex that really is booming. And so there are certain areas that are more desirable. But in the further you go out of Dallas, obviously, the more land you get. But we have a great design center here, you know, great art scene. It's very desirable. So I have to say, you know, in, in the metroplex here, it really is a great, great place to run a business in interior design. It's, yeah, in Austin, I mean, think about other, you know, spots in, in Texas. I have two daughters down in Austin. It's a different vibe down there as far as design goes because the aesthetic is very different than what it is up here. But, I mean, Austin is 100% booming. So they can't even, you know, find plots of lands to build anymore. So, I mean, fantastic. And then we just picked up a job in Houston. And, I mean, obviously the, the growth down there is is crazy as well. So I have to say, Texas isn't a, in, isn't a bad place to live. No, it's not. And it's really interesting, too. I, I want your take on all three markets, because the three markets you mentioned are also vastly different. You've got Houston yes. with, with you know, traditional old money. Yes. Fort Worth, uh -huh. Fort Worth, old money as well. But Dallas has always been new money. Dallas is yes. always, right? A lot of it, yes. It really is. We work with a lot more, I would say, younger families in Dallas. Um and that's that's an interesting you know, quadrant of the population because, I mean, honestly, what's too funny is my oldest daughter um, is 33, and her friends are calling to hire us, and we just laugh about it because it's like, wow, like how can these young kids like afford to you know hire a full service firm? It's unbelievable. And so, you know, it's it's them coming out of college and having great jobs, but it's really funny how your times have changed. But yeah, I have to say, you know, as different as they are, you know, there's opportunity in all three for sure. I feel like interior design and architecture is it's one of those things that's always important, but I feel like there's a renaissance taking place right now because mm -hmm. It, it feels to me like people are starting to put a greater value on the idea of home mm -hmm. more so mm -hmm. than, than ever before. And my theory is mm -hmm. that it's happening because the idea of home, we do more at home than we used to. You know, right. work, work used to be where we went and spent over half mm -hmm. our time. Right, and sure. And we do more work at home. I, I do more work at home mm -hmm. than I do at the office. Oh, I mean, absolutely. So I think between that and health and wellness and sustainable living um, mm -hmm. and the, the fact that people want to be healthier, they, there's, a, there's a focus on being healthier. I think with, with everything in the news, it sort of forces people to think about um, 
the furniture and materials that they put right. in their home off gassing and the air, uh-huh. the air quality in their home and the water quality and the fact that they mm-hmm. just want to live better. It's not just a box with a bed in it that you just spend the night in and then you go you go somewhere else. Absolutely. And I, and I think too, and that varies, I guess that um, preference with our clients, it seems like you know, it's, it's some that want to fill their house, other who really want to live in their house. And I think that's what you're saving. Even myself, I was one who I preferred to be out. And now I flipped the switch and I would most prefer to be at home and to make the memories at home. And, you know, most of our clients too, I mean, we're definitely getting, getting on board with that concept, especially like you said, they're working from home. And so, and even in Dallas, and especially Austin too, those wellness components are very important where we are, you know, putting in the water filtration, um, you know, systems, you know, during remodels and, and new construction and really paying attention to like off-gassing of products, leathers, faux leathers, and things that, you know, might cause an issue later on. But it's a certain type of client who is desiring that, and it's the ones who know that they have to pay extra, right, for those qualities and the ones that are staying longer in their houses. You know, they're investing, and they're going to stay more than five years. This is not their their in-between house, right, because yeah. that comes with the price. Yeah, and so I want to back up a second because mm-hmm. you have you have an interesting story. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you giggle a little bit, but it's, and I think that it's easy for you to giggle now because you're kind of on the other side of it. Right, right. right. But, yeah. you know, your your design was your destiny. I, I think you, you figured out early on. I mean, well, I could tell this. T- tell the story. How did, how did this, how did this business start for you? And it really, it really started because it had to. It started because it had to. So, my degree is actually in elementary education and almost 20 years ago I was teaching and I'll just, I'll just do the reader's digest version of this. But basically I stayed home to have, I taught six years, stayed home to have kids. I was tutoring and I was, you know, doing some other like entrepreneurial things out of my home and our oldest, it was time to really start saving for college. So my, Husband at the time says, hey, you know, you either need to go back to teaching or think about something else. That's when my design business was born. And obviously, we all pay our dues. I mean, it it took me years, you know, as a side hustle to get a, you know, a decent list of, of clients. But I loved it. And, and you know, a friend said to me at, at one point, hey, do you think we can, like, make money at something we actually love to do? I was like, well, a J-O-B, you know, I don't think that you really necessarily love it to bring the paycheck home, but that stuck with me. And I did, I did. I have a, had a sole career interior designer for um, several years just as a side hustle. I mean, I would say again, like 12 years. Just as a side hustle, I was there at every kid's event and dropped them off and picked them up from school. Well, during that time, my and I knew my husband was an alcoholic and it was a very rocky household that we lived in. And literally I was waiting for the other two to drop all the time, but 
in 2011, it, it got really bad in and out of rehab. And, um, it, it just, it just got to be the time where I just said, Hey, I, I've got to get my family out of this. And we tried, but we're, we've got to move on. Um, and so after a nasty divorce, um, I got my, my kids and I said, I've got to really ramp up this business because I'm going to be a single mom. And the next, uh, within two, about a year and a half, he actually passed away. And then it was like, okay, you know, I don't have any other support. It's just me on a side hustle and I've got to ramp this up big time because like you said earlier, I didn't have a choice. I had to bring the money home. I had to put food on the table. It was a necessity for me. And so from that point in 2012, I mean, I put in the work, you know, I just, you know, like I was involved in every organization and I went to conferences and I hired coaches and all of the things to better myself. And I just worked my butt off because I had to, I had to. And really kind of the end of the story is, um, you know, I invested in the help and actually made a point you know, to grow my business. So my business grew from $150,000 in revenue in 2011 to over $2.6 million in revenue last year. And I was very intentional about the growth and the strategies that I had to take to get me to that point. And obviously that higher, that goes with hiring a team and obviously great design and focus and systems and processes <laughs> to get us there. And then actually the last little pivot was I, I uh, ended up getting married and five months later we had a major house fire. So it was it for me, it's been a ton of setbacks and then, you know, crawling back out and having another setback and crawling back out. But I'm going to knock on wood, but I think I'm on the other side. And the hits keep coming, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you. well, so what would you say? What would, you, what would you say are the lessons that you learned along the way? And because you built, you built it to scale. You built it up. Yes. And yes. With, with, with building up to scale comes capital investment. It comes hiring, yes. hiring of people. It comes mm -hmm. a strategic plan. You can't just throw money at it. I mean, a right. lot of people do, but it's not, if you got a lot of money at it that you can throw at it, right. that's great. That's how you go from having a, um, a, a large fortune to having a small fortune. Yeah, exactly. but how, how do you how do you go from having no fortune to yeah. to, to building a a scalable, sustainable business? Yes, and that it's so funny because it happened, you know, over about eight years, and these are the lessons that I learned. And the first one is to just be vulnerable and ask for help. Because a lot of us don't like to share what we're going through. And it's an industry that is Instagram. And we don't talk about the stuff that's going on at home. And we still have to show up at our client's house with a happy face. But what I ended up doing, I dropped the curtain and became vulnerable and asked for help. So I did have a little nest egg. It wasn't a 10, but I hired a business coach. And really, you know, worked with him along the way to get my finances, even at home, geared with what was going on in the business. 
you know, the next step, which was about two years later, I hired my first employee. And again, when you start doing that, you are in the growth mode, right? Because it's going to allow you more time to focus on your business. That's the next thing that I learned. The lesson was put my business under a magnifying glass, really take a hard look at the finance portion of it. Um, And that's what I did. I put in set margins. I knew what my margins had had to be. A couple other things that I did along the way, I got smart way back and created a co-op with another two designers for buying power and created my accounts from Stocking Dealer. That was, that's been huge to this day. I own it myself um, now, but that was huge. Another couple of things I did to scale was not take everything. I like put my foot in the sand and I said, okay, I am not taking a project that's less than say $50,000. And I stuck to it. And as hard as that is, it made a huge difference because you know, who cares if you're busy, right? Everybody's busy. I don't want to be just busy. I want to make money. And I had to. So that was huge in, in really taking that next step. Um, the third lesson that I learned was that I had to create a firm that ran without me because clearly, I mean, not for long, but you know, I could, I can take two weeks off. I can take a month off because you never know when that other shoe's going to drop. And I lived my life for a long time going, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? And so I created the systems and the processes to run my firm to where as anybody can come in here now and they're all, they're all set. I mean, we, we had templates and Asana and crazy drop boxes and all, you know, all these things that it, it runs smoothly and there's no way that I could have gotten through the last eight years without that. And that goes to the next is building the team, building the right team. You know, it's staying lean, but everybody has a skill set, which is awesome that I don't have. So I hire, you know, the skill sets. I mean, I'm really the creative and the, and the visionary and I, I am on the project still, but I like to leave details to other people. And, you know, the biggest the biggest lesson that I learned is really do the work, um, deliver more than it's expected, but you've got to do the work. It, you know, it just doesn't happen. Well, and, and you also have to have the talent. Yes. And yes. you also have to have the vision. And I think that um, the vision, and it's funny, you know, here we are, we're about, what, 20 minutes into our conversation. We haven't talked about design at all. <laughs> And I, and I think that that's great because um, uh-huh. I definitely want to get to it because from a talent standpoint, you're, mm-hmm. you're crazy talented. Um, Thank you. What I think is interesting too is the manner in which you approach the business is very systematic, it appears to mm-hmm. me. And yes. you, have, you have a next step. So even while you've scaled up and built from necessity, you also have a next step, right? As far as uh, what's happening next, you yeah, mean, or? yeah, what's happening next for the business? As far yes, as I take, do. taking it away from design itself, yes, um, I do, I do. Um, within my story and everything that's gone on the last eight years, I 
I always knew, even as a business person, I wanted to take my design firm and and branch off to it. I mean, again, out of necessity, I'm always going to feel like, like I, you know, I, I have to have this nest egg. Um, I have to be prepared because when I wasn't prepared financially, it scared the crap out of me, right? And so I'm always, over the last like three or four years, I'm like, okay, what can I do? Mailbox money, another alternative income stream. We all think about it as designers. I mean, we all do. I mean, you know, we've had our, our online design business for years, but there was something more just gnawing at me and just saying, hey, you know, how can you give back? How can you give back to this community that actually like saved my life during all of this? You know, the design industry. And I realized that I have a passion for coaching other designers and helping them through their hard times and their setbacks and getting them to a place where, number one, they can breathe and really focus on their business, but to scale it as well. And it took me a long time to kind of step away and say, okay, I'm going to devote this time and this money to do this because, you know, whether out of self-satisfaction or actually, you know, out of the need to help people who are just like me, it's, um, it's, it's, it's here. I'm doing it. So I'm really excited about it. It's like I said, a way to give back, but I want to share, like, I want to cut out all this stuff and all the learning that I did because I would have loved to somebody like hand me like a roadmap. All right, here's how you do it. But then you can reinvent it yourself. But God, I mean, the shortcuts, I mean, wow, like <laughs> that would have been really cool. But um, I know there's a need for it. And it's like I said, it's just something that's very passionate that I would like to do. Sarah Malik Barney is the founder of Band Design. Sarah is uh, again, you hear me say this a lot, but they wouldn't be on here if they were not remarkable talent. Sarah brings a number of unique elements to her incredible rise in design, that of a first career in sports and entertainment. She worked for Hollywood powerhouse talent firm CAA, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, and then came back home to Austin to launch her design firm, Band Design. Sarah and I talk about her journey and her work, work that is influenced by her Hollywood experience and Texas roots equally and balanced, which makes her work truly amazing. It's funny, too, because the first thing I wanted to lead out with is why does somebody go into talent management <laughs> if they want to be a designer? Too soon? Is it too soon for that question? We're really like uh, daring the lead here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Why does someone go into talent management if they want to be a designer? Well, I mean, I didn't know I wanted to be a designer. When you you, re you really didn't know that? No, I really didn't. I mean, I honestly, you know, I, I grew up in Texas, but um, I always knew I wanted to move to L.A. and work in entertainment. And so I got there as fast as I could and literally moved a week after college graduation. But um, I just kind of like... I'm, I'm a kind of like fly by the seat of my pants sort of person. And so I kind of went with whatever um, opportunities were brought my way. But I also, um, when I originally started working in entertainment, I was working in TV production and that was just way too chaotic for me. You know, a job one day, no job the next hiatus and all that stuff. And I just couldn't, my type A brain couldn't handle that. And so the talent management aspect of it was really attractive to me because 
um, it was so business forward and I was able to control a lot more of, of what was happening. Um, and I actually really enjoyed it, but it was a lot of personality management for sure. But I think it set me up for dealing with clients. Um, and as a designer, like I joke about this, but it's true. I never knew that that was a job you could have. Like, I didn't even know when I, when I meet like some of my employees, you know, they went to school for interior design and I always think like, how at 18 did you know that's what you wanted to do? I didn't even know you could own a house at 18. Like that wasn't even <laughs> in my wheelhouse of thought, like let alone I could design it to, to every inch. So it was just a hobby, like something I did for fun. And then um, once I was, once I realized, oh yeah, this is a job. It's not just like designing women or, you know, rich ladies clutching their pearls, picking out fancy sofas. And it could be something that could be fun and approachable. That's when I realized it could actually be a career and I could make something of it. So that's, I don't know, it's been like a weird evolution, but um, I think talent management and being an agent and dealing with people's careers and lives sort of led me to the path of dealing with people's furniture. <laughs> and and I'm going to get to that in a minute. First, I wanted, so you were, you were with CAA. I was. Did you start in the mailroom? Um, I actually started as an assistant and then I moved down to the mailroom, which you have to do once you've actually been promoted, you, they revert you backwards. Yeah. And then I was promoted out of the mailroom and um, became an agent from there. Yeah. Well, I ask because when it comes to project management, which is, which is a huge part, probably one of the, one of the core competencies of a, of a successful designer, that project management yeah. element, I don't think there's a better education than starting as an, as an agent, especially at CAA, going down to the yeah. mailroom and learning how to deal with people. Well, and not only that, like in, in the entertainment industry as a whole, most places require you to work at an agency for at least a year. And there's a reason for that. There's a lot that's thrown your way and you have to be quick on your feet and deal with a lot of crap you don't want to deal with. <laughs> but I mean, it's true. You, it is a great training ground for any career. And, um, I kind of wish it was required for everyone. And I try to it, like educate my employees on that who are all, you know, sub 25 year old. Um, but they don't, they don't understand. It, and there's really no way for somebody to understand it without being in it. It's kind of like being a parent. You don't get, you don't understand it until you're in it. But, um, but yeah, that's kind of part of it too. What do you think uh, were the most poignant lessons you learned from that, that you were able to take with you? into into your practice well i think a big part of it is you have to get over yourself and you have to get out of your own way and sometimes you're going to have to do things you really just don't want to do um sometimes you got to take out the garbage as they say and it your ego is no bigger than the next person's ego you got to just get over yourself so i think that was a big part of it because i was doing a lot of things i just didn't want to be doing no i don't want to be delivering packages to julia roberts house as glamorous as that sounds to me i felt like that was a waste of my education but it taught me a lot about humility and um grace and just sort of learning all angles of a business um, that I think was really, really important and valuable and trying to understand kind of what everyone's going through, not just what you're going through. Boy, that's so true, isn't it? Yeah. But I think it's lost a lot too. So when you left LA, you went, you went back to Austin. So you're, you're a native, yeah. you're, 
what do you call someone from Austin? An Austinite. Okay. So yeah. you're in, you're a native Austinite. I am. Is that yes. a, is is that a is that a rarity? It is. We are like unicorns. It's kind of like in LA when you meet people from LA. It's um we are we are unicorns these days, especially now with the way that the city has grown. Um, and I joke, I mean, like I say, I'm from Austin. My family moved there when I was eight. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's the only place that's really ever been home. Okay, fair enough. No, yeah. no, nobody's questioning you on that. That's yeah. uh, you, you can you you could you could claim that. Don't don't push me on this. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I absolutely love, and I and I started doing Lone Star House of Design because. I've been doing Convo by Design for seven years. I'm a huge fan of design and architecture. And I have family in Texas. Yeah. And I drive through uh, every year or two. Um, I, don't, I don't like to fly. I'm not afraid of it. I just don't like it. I don't like I, it either. Yeah, I don't like I the don't experience like anymore. And I started, uh, gosh, five or six years ago doing this in earnest. I love driving through Texas. Um, do you? Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it because there's so much you get to see. And what's interesting and, and what I think most people don't realize from a from a design and architecture standpoint, you think of Texas, you think of, you know, Dallas and Houston yeah. and El Paso and San Antonio and Austin. And you think of all these individual cities, but you don't you don't think of them necessarily as design and architecture destinations. Right. Yeah. Austin in particular is a remarkable city. It's one that has one foot in the future and one foot firmly planted in the past. You you save yeah. your iconic architecture. Yeah, it's funny about Austin um, that I say a lot because we see a lot of really ugly homes in Austin. <laughs> and, and that's because Austin as a whole is not a very old city. If you're comparing it to even Dallas and Houston, but like places in like New England and even California, Austin's a relatively young city, especially on the suburbs when, you know, it started to grow and expand. So a lot of the residential architecture outside of the like downtown core is pretty crappy. I mean, it's like it was stuff that was thrown up in track homes between the 60s and 80s, 90s. And there's a lot of really, really bad design. There's some beauty in some of um the older architecture, but you're right. I mean, there's some of it. It's like, we're trying to figure out our city identity in a way from an architecture standpoint. It's like, we, there is so much new, so much that's new. And then there's so much that's sort of like lingering. Like, do we hold on to this? Do we not? Um, it's, it is an interesting point of view for it for sure. Yeah. But I think it's interesting too, that the first instinct isn't just to, to level it, you know, I, I'm a native Angelino. Yeah. I'm a native Angelino again, oh, okay. a, a rarity. Um, rarity. But what's interesting about LA is the desire just to tear things down and start again. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But, but I think that it, it says something about a city when it's like, hey, you know what? Let's just hold off. Let's uh, let's not just tear it down because it's old. Um, yeah. Or or ugly. Let's figure out what we want to put there first. And I think because of that. Austin has developed into an amazing city, very, very mobile. Yes. Um, very smart. The downtown area, very pedestrian. Um, and you went to UT, yeah? I did, yes. Okay. Beautiful campus, by the way. Yeah, I liked it. It was a fun time. <laughs> yeah. And, and Austin's a very walkable city. Tell me, yeah. ab 
tell me about the state of design in Austin right now. Well, Austin, as a lot of people know, is growing at a at like an alarming rate. Um, and Austin itself is set up to be kind of like a medium-sized city. So I think from an infrastructure standpoint, we're, we're sort of struggling because um, the city can't handle the number of people who are coming in from California, New York, Chicago, kind of all over the world for what they say is quality of life. Um, so it's, it's really evolving right now. There's a lot um, there's a lot that's changing and, um, there's not like one true look or feel that I think is happening that you see, like, I don't know, in Dallas, it's very traditional. And in Houston, it could be very like ranchy Southwestern almost sometimes or Tuscan even. Um, but in Austin, it's, it's, um, it's so unique. And I think, you know, there's the saying, keep Austin weird. And I think there's a lot of weird things happening with design but in a good way. And I think we have a lot of clients who are open to trying new things and pushing the boundaries. And I don't necessarily design to be wacky and weird because I do want you to be able to function in the space and love it for a long time and feel classic. Like I want it to feel classic, but I think people are willing to take some more design risks um, that we're sort of seeing a little bit more of. Um, And I like that because it's been so one note for so long here and then now it's finally changing and I'm, I'm excited about the direction it's going with the influx of new culture. What about the design community? So, I mean, I can't really speak for other cities, but from Austin as a whole, um, it's a small community, but it's funny because every time I, you know, get on Instagram or any social media or whatever, I'm like, Oh, I've never heard of that designer before. They're in Austin. That's cool. Like I just feel like I'm constantly discovering new people. Um, but we are a small community. We do try to network a little bit with each other and um, and share tips and ideas. But it's it's kind of similar with other designers in other cities where, you know, you kind of get stuck in your own vortex and you don't really, you know, come up for air all that often. Um, I've found a small little community of designers that I enjoy um, hanging out with and seeing from time to time. And I'm part of several networking groups where we can all get together and talk about what we're seeing out there in the marketplace, but also um, in design as a whole. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's open, but it's like selectively open, meaning like we're all sort of still trying to navigate the waters of who's hanging out with who and what's happening where and who's working with who. And I'm constantly looking from a vendor standpoint for um, those trusted partners, because since the city is growing so much and the, you know, you don't have to be a licensed contractor you don't have to be licensed to be a contractor in the state of texas which blows my mind but you know people are popping up left and right saying that they can you know be one of our trusted um partners and then are letting me down so it's it's navigating those waters too is to finding those trusted partners that that actually that blows my mind that you don't have to be a licensed contractor yeah yeah like you and i are contractors in the state of texas (laughs) congratulations wow (laughs) yeah that's scary. It blows my mind. It, yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, part of me like likes that. You know, we don't need to like regulate everything, but like from a contractor standpoint, I don't know it's a little terrifying. <laughs> so, from a standpoint of of resources, what I guess it's always interesting. The question for me: Do you have a design center? Do you have a central design district? Do you, when it comes to specifying local? 
um, and from a central location. Do you, do you have that? No, um, we don't. And, um, I don't know if I actually would want it to be honest with you because I don't even want to give my clients the option of seeing everything in person. Um, but I know we don't have it and it is a severe, like we definitely are lacking that there are a few small, um, b- boutique showrooms that carry like, um, very curated lines of fabric and tile and other textiles and um, materials. And they're from, from a furnishing standpoint, there's very few that we can call on um, to even do like a sit test if we wanted to. And so I've now sort of just made market a priority for me um, to at least go to a market a year, if not more to see and touch and feel we carry a pretty robust library within our office so that we don't really have to leave very often if we don't need to. And we're, we have a lot of our reps come by a lot and bring us stuff. Um, and I think they're used to doing that in Austin now at this point, because we don't have a spot we can go to for, um, quick design inspiration in that regard. So when you have a situation like this, where, you know, you know, Market is, I don't know if the next one's going to happen, but Salone is not happening. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everything's getting, everything's getting canceled now. Yeah. Um, High Point got canceled, yeah. which I don't, I don't think I did. Well, they, I just got an email that they moved it to June 12th, I think it was. Okay, so it's, it's rescheduled. Yeah, but for like two days. And it's like, I'm not going, I'm not flying to Greensboro for two days. You got to be kidding me. No way. No, that's too hard. Yeah. So when the events, you know, one series of events getting canceled isn't going to be the end of the world. But right. I've never seen anything cancel like this before. And the ones, right. the ones that still happen, it gets kind of difficult getting to them. Right. Are we almost to the point where specifying online, <clears throat> excuse me, specifying online and doing research online is more the norm now? I mean, I gotta say that, like, yes, uh, we do a lot online, and even though we can make it to market, we have the, or like, you know, when we could make it to market, we have our trusted lines that we know we can fall back on again and again if we need to, or we have people who can make custom pieces for us if we need to. So, you know, what I tell clients, because sometimes some will say, like, well, how do I know it's going to be comfortable or whatever? I say to them, you know, like we've spent a lot of time researching, sitting, feeling like really learning about these partners we're recommending to you. And you have to trust us that we're giving you the best possible product. And, um, you know, 99 times out of 100, that is good enough for them. And that works. And everybody's happy. But um, I think we we are going to move more into that virtual space. And also, by the way, with like retail spaces being so expensive to operate, it's going to continue to move towards online and being able to trust what you just see and research and learn about on your own versus being able to touch it and feel it in advance. Uh, yeah, no, no question. And you, you kind of touched on something that I find really interesting. I, I think, you know, having been having been having having had these conversations with designers for so long, one of the things it's 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 really heartbreaking and, and sad, and very frustrating at the same time, too, you know, you're, a, you're a creator, you're a creative person, right. you're an artist. And 
the trend with online has led to designers, uh, sorry, with clients not really understanding the true value of what designers do. For sure. Which has led yeah. to, you know, contract issues and pricing issues and, and price yeah. model issues and how do I charge and how do I, how do I convey my true value? Right. Many clients don't see the value right. in, in the research. Right. And in the, in the curation process of yeah. unique and different products. I think you're, you're interesting in the sense that you have this, or unique rather, in the sense that you have this business background and, yeah. you know, coming from TV and the agency community where they have to sell value every day. Yeah. And value changes every day. Yeah. How do you approach that? Well, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think um, my business background has sort of has led me to where I am in my business. Um, you know, our design firm is really young. We've only been around for three years, but um, because of but because my my business background, I think it's led to our success or our growth in that short period of time. I mean, I am a business person first and a designer second, and. Um, I understand, you know, what needs to go into the business side of things more than anything else. And I'm almost at the point now with my business. Yeah, I want clients and yes, I want them to understand my value, but I almost am like, this is what it is. And this is a luxury service. And if you're going to question my every move, then this isn't the right process for you. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, so standoffish about it. But it, I think because I've sort of given that sense to clients from the get-go, they don't push back very often about um, pricing or even understanding the value of it, um, which we've been lucky with. You know, I hear other designers complaining all the time about them being shopped or um, the client not understanding, you know, why something costs whatever. And, and, you know, I'd be lying if I said that the most popular conversation that designers have is how to charge because it, it is like, that's what we talk about all the time. How do we charge? Because there is no right answer. Um, what we have done from day one is we've charged a flat fee and that's how we've always worked. I don't anticipate that changing anytime soon. Um, and it's worked for us. And sometimes people get sticker shock and they go, oh, never mind. And that's okay because they weren't our right client. Um, and I am constantly doing a dance of like, is this too much? Is this not enough? Um, and you know, you just have to value your time at the end of the day. And like my time is not worth nothing. I, my very first client paying client ever thought that I was just going to go shopping for her for free and not charge her for that time. And I thought, well, in what world do you think that that is normal? Even if I'm a baby brand new designer that I would just go shopping for you for free. Do you think I don't have a mortgage to pay and kids to feed. Like, come on. So I realized, like, it doesn't matter if I'm one month out of design school or, you know, 20 years out of design school. I need to charge what I think my time is worth, regardless of the amount of time I've been in the business. Thank you, Mike, Brian, Tracy, and Sarah. It was fun, and I truly appreciate the time. Please subscribe to the show so you catch every episode of Lone Star House of Design and Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. It would also be greatly appreciated if you followed along. 
you can find us at convobydesign.com and at convobydesign with an X on Instagram for show inquiries, sponsorship, and guest inquiries. Email me, convobydesign at outlook.com. Be well, and until next week, keep creating.